Well, uh, conflict is at the center of our scripture readings and story this morning. If you're interested, Webster's Dictionary describes and defines conflict as being in collision or opposition, incompatible. And so I want you to see if you can count the number of conflicts that arise in our scripture readings this morning. Our first is from Genesis chapter 25. I'll be reading verses 19 through 26. I invite you to follow along on the screen. These are the descendants of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padam Aram, sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. So conflict number one is Rebekah's barrenness. You have to understand that in the Hebrew mindset, barrenness was a sign of God's disfavor and even punishment. And Isaac's anxiety is that at 40 years old, he is facing the prospects of being childless for the rest of his life. And he doesn't want the people whom he knows to think that his wife is on the outs with God. And so what does he do? Isaac prays to God. And then look at what it says. And the Lord granted his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, conceived. But no sooner does that blessing come than we have conflict number two. It says in verse 22, the children struggled together within her. Literally means they crashed together within her. There was conflict together within her. And she said, if it is to be this way, why do I live? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Rebecca goes alone all by herself without Isaac to pray and to seek God's counsel. Reminds me of the story of the woman who went to a marriage counselor alone. She told the counselor, I would have brought my husband, but we would only wind up arguing. <laughs> and then the Lord said to her, Rebecca, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. So now we have conflict number three, a conflict of destiny. God reverses the normal order of things by having the younger son be the child of destiny. Back then it was scandalous. The eldest child was the one who always called the shots over younger siblings. In fact, it was the eldest who would receive a double share of the inheritance when a father died. And then we have verse 24. When her time to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy mantle. So they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Jacob's name literally means striver, hustler, heel grabber, trickster. And so we have conflict number four, as Jacob is already acting out his name a foreshadowing of someone who will not settle for being second best. And then finally it says, Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. 
Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, our second uh, scripture reading, also from Genesis chapter 25, uh, continues the story. I'm going to pick it up in verse 27. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. This would be conflict number five, because each parent loves one of their kids more than the other, which now leads us to conflict number six. As they grew up, verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff for I am famished. Therefore, he was called Edom. Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. God, we pray that in these moments that we have together, that you would come now and through your Holy Spirit, illuminate these uh, readings in your holy word so that we might better understand what it means to live in community with each other, our family, and our church family, as we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. The following dialogue has not been censored. The Eagles were just lucky. We're not, we're too. Wait till next year, you giant fan booger face. Mommy, Jimmy's calling me that name again. Mommy, Billy is bothering me and calling me names too. Billy gives Jimmy a shove. Jimmy retaliates by giving his brother a whack alongside the head. And then the bedroom brawl begins, complete with hair pulling, punching, kicking, biting, scratching. Suddenly, mom walks in. Cut. What would your parents do in that situation? The answer to that question may have a profound impact on who you are today. We very often reflect on the ups and downs of the relationships we have with our parents or our children or our spouses, and yet we ignore what some psychologists suggest are the primary relationships for determining who we are, and that is with our brothers and sisters. In other words, good news folks, you don't have to blame your parents anymore. You can now blame your siblings, how about that? I want you to think about your brothers and sisters for a moment. They know all the things about you that you would just as soon forget. They can push buttons in you that you never knew you had. One of the great character tests in life is when one of your siblings does a lot better than you do. Can you imagine having Jacob as your little brother? Don't you think you might feel just a bit overshadowed? 
It's sort of like being the brother of Michael Jordan, especially since it appears that Jacob, even if only by just a few minutes, was the baby in the family. Well, as the story goes, when Rebecca was carrying twins in her womb, they created such a ruckus that she thought that she was going to die. And when she prayed to God about it, God said, well, Rebecca, that makes sense that you are having such a hard time. It says, the Lord said to her, Rebecca, two nations are in your womb and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. Now, what's interesting to me is that there's no record anywhere in the Bible of Rebecca ever telling Isaac about what God told her. Seems like they kept a lot of secrets from each other. But the point is this. The sibling rivalry is planted very early between these two brothers. Now, part of the problem may in fact have been their birth order. Esau was the oldest child. How many of you are the oldest child in your family? Lots of you, me too. If you, how about if you're an only child? You're an only child? Only child, then you are the eldest child squared. <laughs> but you know what they say, you can always tell the oldest child but you can't tell them much. <laughs> Someone, you like that one, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Someone else has said that eldest children always feel sorely neglected even when one glance reveals that the family album contains more pictures of them than of anyone else. Jacob was a twin, but he was the second one born. And when Jacob was losing the race down to the birth canal, the Bible says that he reached out, grabbed his twin brother by the heel, and tried to pull him back so that Jacob could be born first. As I said earlier, Jacob's name means literally schemer or tricky. Esau's name means hairy. And so we have tricky and hairy, which is sort of like a really bad TV family sitcom. How do we handle in the Bible that God seems to be unimpressed with eldest children? Think of all the examples in the Bible where God seems to choose younger children for a specific calling or ministry. It's Abel over Cain. It's Rachel over Leah, and we'll talk about them next week. Joseph over his 10 older brothers. Moses over Miriam, David over his seven older brothers, the prodigal son over his older brother. And now here in our story today in Genesis, it's Jacob over Esau. God seems to delight in turning the pecking order upside down by elevating the younger over the eldest. Some of us grew up being compared to a sibling or a cousin or the kid across the street. And you know, when parents do that, we set our kids up for failure and jealousy. And you know what? That can even happen in the church. There was an advertisement one time in Christianity Today, and it showed a woman 
had this frown on her face as she's walking out of a Sunday school classroom and had the caption underneath that picture, why does everybody go to her Bible study and not to mine? And the selling point was that if you bought a certain kind of curriculum, there would be a stampede out of her Bible study and into your Bible study. Imagine, you could put every other Sunday school class out of business. What a wonderful Christian attitude. Oh, the perils of rivalry, yes, even in the church. Well, unfortunately, this family does some real damage to each other in utero, after the twins are born, and then as they grow up in the family. And isn't it true that long-buried tensions among siblings have a way of coming out later in life? Maybe it's when you're facing the failing health of a parent, and there are issues to be decided on what kind of long-term care to provide for them. How do you arrive at those decisions with your siblings in a peaceful way? Or after a parent dies and you have to decide how to divide and divvy up the family assets. That can bring out the best in siblings. It can also bring out the worst in siblings. Sadly, and all too often, siblings regress and start to behave like when they were little kids. Neil Stennett is the uh, former chairman of the Department of Human Development and the Family at the University of Nebraska. He conducted, get this now, a 25-year study in which they looked at uh, uh, 14,000, 25-year study, 14,000 families around the world. And they came up with a list of six qualities that make up for a healthy, strong family. One they are committed to each other. Two, they spend time together. Three, they have positive family communication. Four, they express appreciation and affection for each other. Five, they have a spiritual well-being and commitment. And six, they are able to solve problems in a crisis. In our story today, this family possesses none of those six qualities. In fact, at one point, as you heard me read, Jacob makes this big pot of chili, and because Esau is more interested in his belly than in his birthright, he gets tricked by Jacob into giving it over to him. This is no way to treat your flesh and blood. And the result is that Esau gives up a long-term benefit for short-term satisfaction. And then reflecting on what he had done, it says he despised his birthright. Hidden within this verse, it means he despised his brother Jacob. And that Pandora's box of jealousy, anger, envy, resentment, and bitterness is flung wide open. There's a story that's told about two paddle boats traveling together down the Mississippi from Memphis to New Orleans. And at one point, these two boats are traveling together and words were exchanged as one of the sailors on the boats made a crack about the snail's pace of the other. Before long, the race was on as these two paddle boats are steaming down the Mississippi River towards New Orleans. One of the paddle boats fell behind because it was running out of fuel. 
It had plenty of coal to make the trip, but not enough to engage in a race. And so one of the sailors on the trip went down, he got some of the ship's cargo, and he threw it into the oven. And guess what? It worked. And when the other sailors on board saw that the cargo worked just as good as the coal, they, gave, they began pitching their cargo. Think about this, the very cargo that they had been called upon to transport to New Orleans, and they threw it right in the oven. And they won the race, but they burned up all their cargo. You and I have been given precious cargo in our lives. Our children, our marriage, our siblings, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers. And our whole purpose in life is to transport that cargo to its proper destination. And yet how often have we sacrificed that precious cargo in other words, the significant relationships in our life, all in that striving to be number one. The sin of jealousy can destroy us inside and out. It also separates us from people who may be at their highest moment of joy and greatest triumph. It's when champagne corks are popping and congratulations are being offered around the room that we sit in the corner with a scowl on our face. So how do we get ahead of it before it gets too far away from us? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12. It's very simple. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. If someone beats you out for the big job promotion or receives an honor that you just had your heart set on, why not be the first person to walk across the room, stick out your hand, and congratulate him or her? Join with some of those other coworkers and sign that card that says, way to go! And yes, that means even celebrating the accomplishments and achievements of a brother or sister, stepping into the shadows while they step into the spotlight. The Bible says, rejoice with those who rejoice. I think another way that we might be able to manage things better is to have our jealousy actually drive us towards excellence. You know, maybe her Bible study really is better than my Bible study. And maybe I can learn something from them and pray that God would also speak through me so that we would have more than just one great Sunday school class, but we would have a plethora of them that would enrich the people's hearts and minds for Jesus Christ. And finally, we need to find our contentment in Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. God says to me and you, in no uncertain terms, be thankful for what you have. The late manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, Tommy Lasorda, tells the story of sitting in his kitchen when he was a young boy, and his mother giving him a can of carnation milk. And he picked it up, and he started to read the label and the ingredients on the side of the can. And on the side of the can was a saying, contented cows give better milk. And you know what? I think that's true. Because there are people who are never, ever satisfied and always want more and more and more. 
But if we are content with what we have, then we will give a better account of ourselves before God. The Apostle Paul says something that's important for you and me. He said with joy in his heart, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Friends, the only true contentment that we will ever find is in God. And the key, that means, is turning to God first. And so as we turn to God, which we need to do again and again and again, God begins to shape our lives and mold our desires so that what we most desire, what we most want, what we most need is him. Our worth is not tied up in what we have or what we don't have, but in Jesus Christ who loved us enough to go to the cross and die for you and me. He is the one who gives us worth. He is the one who gives us value. He is the one who gives our life meaning. Friends, it is worth working through whatever your sibling issues may be. The older you get in life, the more precious the gift of brothers and sisters becomes because they are the ones who remember how you came to be the person that you are today. We have a lot of losses in life. There's death, there's divorce, there's children who grow up and move away. You may well come to the day when you will say, the closest person to me in the whole world is my outrageous sister or my wild and crazy brother. If that is not yet in your vocabulary, let today be the day when it begins. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Lord God, our families bring us our greatest joy, but holy moly, they can also bring us our deepest pain. This morning, as we think of the struggles within our own families, we give you thanks that our difficulties are mirrored within the pages of Scripture as they tell us of unrest within the families of the Bible, like with Isaac and Rebekah or with Jacob and Esau. And so we pray this morning for brothers and sisters, whether they are close to us or they may be people who we rarely even send Christmas cards to. Whether they are stepbrothers or stepsisters, or especially if they have wandered away from you and have not yet come back into the camp, into the family of worshiping Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We lift these siblings up and pray that they would know your presence in their lives. And if any of us have unfinished business with our sisters or our brothers, we pray that you would give us the grace to respond, to reach out, to pick up the phone and give them a call, to send a text, or maybe just to sit down and write that long overdue letter. We offer ourselves, O oh God, as instruments of your healing and peace within our families, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, as we pray in his name. 
Amen.